Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. I'm Megan Mobbs, a visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. I'm joined today by a special guest, Representative Yvette Harrell, to discuss the ongoing Afghan refugee situation. Before we hop into what is bound to be an extremely illuminating discussion, let me share just a few high points about Representative Harrell and her career. Yvette Harrell was born and raised in New Mexico and represents the state's largest congressional district and the U.S. House of Representatives. She is a member of the Committee on Natural Resources and Committee on Oversight and Reform. Before she was elected to Congress, Representative Harrell served four terms in the New Mexico House of Representatives, where she helped found the Article 5 Caucus to restore federalism and curtail growth of the federal government. Prior to entering public service, Representative Harrell owned and operated several successful small businesses, including a heavy equipment operating company, an insurance adjusting company, a boarding kennel, and a real estate business. Recently, Representative Harrell wrote an eye-opening piece on Fox News about her visit to Holloman Air Force Base, a base that's located in her New Mexico district and is currently home to 5,000 Afghan evacuees. So welcome, Representative Harrell. It is a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you so much, and I'm just delighted to be your guest today. And for those who are listening who haven't had the education of your super straight-talking piece about what you experienced, can you share a little bit about what you witnessed at Holloman Air Force Base? Yes, uh, thank you for the question. So for for those that don't realize, Holloman Air Force Base is located right in the community that I actually live in, in the 2nd Congressional District. And with the uh, evacuation and everything happening so fast, we learned after the fact that we would be housing up to 5,000 Afghan refugees at Holloman, and we would also see up to 20,000 housed at Fort Bliss, which is the main base is in El Paso, Texas, but where they're housing the refugees is on the Doniana Range, which is also in the 2nd Congressional. Initially, when I tried to go out uh, and visit the base, uh, Holloman Air Force Base, we were told I couldn't go. Of course, that led to a national story, and then we did go on. And I will tell you, first and foremost, hats off, and I'm so grateful for the men and women in our armed services who truly were able to erect an entire village, you know, that would house up to 5,000 people with sleeping quarters, with kitchen, with bath, with, you know, all of the things that you would need, all the necessities. So it's a Herculean move uh, to have that many people engaged to build the villages is what they're calling them to house that many people. So I'm grateful for that. But what the biggest concern that we had were the vetting processes because everything was so rushed. It was really a debacle. I mean, we have 13 gold star families that did not have to be everything was happening so great. And so at a such a quick speed without any really planning. So our questions, uh, to those at Holloman Air Force Base. And just on a side note, we've continued to ask these questions to uh, Millie's office, uh, to you know, DOD, Department of um, Homeland Security. We've asked them to uh, Homeland Security. We've asked them to State Department. But what we want to know is the vetting process as a whole and are the Americans 
uh, people safe. Because for me, we have two priorities. Number one is to remove every American out of Afghanistan and to protect every American on American soil. And those are the questions that we are still unable to get good answers to. Wow, that's such a powerful thing. So you're, you're asking all these questions, but it sounds like you're not getting any answers to your point. So, so what are they saying? What kind of information are they providing to you about the vetting process that, that should be occurring and sounds like isn't occurring? Right. So what we're being told is, and we're being, we, this is being told on the federal level here in D.C., also there on the base, that the migrants are being, or the refugees are being vetted, you know, three different times before they get to American soil. But here's the thing, by our own admission, by Blinken's own admission, the vetting process is flawed. And we can see that when we already have seen them be able to identify at least 13 people that were in transit that failed the background checks with a criminal background. And we know they've had to, uh, they've already identified at least two Afghan refugees that made it to American soil. And so what we're pushing on is, what databases does the State Department and the Department of Health, what databases do they have to compare to in terms of what are, if we're just looking at FBI backgrounds, if we're just looking at American background data, then they can only check what we have ourselves put in. But if we're being honest to the American people, then we need to be looking at regional background data, you know, data from Pakistan and other countries in that region, because as you've heard, and we all have heard, all of the documents, all of the classified data was destroyed. So what are we comparing this to? And that's the $20,000 question. And I'm not the only member of Congress that continues to push on that to want to understand how are we vetting these people uh, with real data that helps us understand who they are. And believe me, we are all in favor of helping our allies, our, the, those who help the coalition. But if we don't do it right on the front end, we've got two problems. Then there will always be a, a shadow of doubt cast over, over the uh, refugees that are going to come to America, be resettled, and assimilate into our nation. You know, there will always be, I think, a cast of doubt if we don't do it right. By the American people, they'll look differently, I think, at our Afghan allies. But also, we owe it to the American people to ensure their safety because the 9-11 Commission, after all of their investigation, they said, we did not do a good job of vetting those coming into our country. And that is what caused the 9-11 attacks. And America does not want to see a repeat of that. So we, we have to get it right the first time. Absolutely. And what you're laying out is basically a, a, a way to balance both safety and security while also ensuring that America remains a beacon of freedom. And you spoke about in your in your piece also about how the process has been historically 18 months of processing for those that are yeah. that are coming over. And it's been condensed in, into weeks um, and days in some cases. And so I'd just like a little yes. bit of your thoughts on that. Yes, I'm, and that's one thing that we pressed when we were at Holloman Air Force Base and did not get the answers. How do you take, and this was our exact question, how do you take a process that takes up 12 to 18 months to go through? And that's an entire deep dive vetting process to actually give somebody citizenship status in our nation. How are we able to convince that to, you know, just a matter of a, cu a couple of short weeks, two or three short weeks, when 
we have people at the southern border who have been trying to go through that vetting process for, you know, 12 to 14 years in some cases. And the State Department, we're, you know, we're unable to process those, uh, those applications and get through that vetting process any quicker than that. So it, it brings to mind the question of, you know, begs the question, how are you doing this and what are you comparing to? But here's the thing that I believe is most concerning. The Afghan refugees are not required to stay on the uh, military installations that are housing them. They're encouraged to stay, but they are not. They're treated, and this is the word they use, they are treated as guests, not, you know, as illegals coming into our country. So we can only encourage them to stay on our military installations. But here's what Americans need to know. There are also Afghan refugees coming in that are choosing not to go to any type of military installation where the facilities are located, but to go ahead and go into the interior of the nation. So we have no idea what they're doing, who they're going to see. There's no one's keeping tabs on anyone. And when we know that we don't have a system, a background check system, that's, that we can rely on 100%, 100% of the time, it just begs the question that we may be putting Americans in harm's way unnecessarily. And as a member of Congress and as a person who feels very responsible to the health and safety and the welfare of the American people, we, we shouldn't be asking these questions after the fact. We ought to be able to ensure the American people that we did our jobs and we did it right um, when we brought them to America, like I said, we all see what a debacle it was leaving Afghanistan and how we now have loss of innocent life. So let's make sure that we don't have a repeat of what's happened in our past because of our haste to get things done and not do it right the first time. And that's such a concerning point, right? Is the chaos that we saw feels a little bit like that chaos has come to to our own home. Um, and that's a very frightening thing for many people, right? To see the chaos in, at, at, through the withdrawal and then to say potentially that that chaos here within our own borders. And your point about um, we're just encouraging them to stay. There's no actually kind of codified process. What happens if they don't stay, if they decide to leave? Is, or is there any recourse? You mean if they decide not to stay on the base and just leave the base? Correct. If they just walk off, what happens? Oh, yeah. Nothing, because there is no recourse, and that's part of the problem. How are we going to see this, this, you know, really this entire kind of a uh, rush through the process, rush to get people here? We know for a fact that people were running to get on those planes out of the Kabul airport. There was no way... No way all those people were getting vetted. We know that for a fact. But here's the thing. There is no recourse. We have no idea. There is no checks and balances. There are no guardrails, so to speak, put put into place so that we can understand where people will be. I mean, it's it's kind of like what we're seeing at the southern border with this catch and release. And then people are basically, you know, it's suggested they show up at court in a few you know, months or in a year from now. That's kind of what's happening. We don't have track of these people. And again, I'm not saying that everyone that came in from Afghanistan is a bad apple. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. We certainly uh, know we have great allies that work the coalitions and work with Americans, but we also know, and we can learn from our mistakes, it doesn't take very many people to disrupt the country and to rate, you know, to bring havoc on communities and on, and our nation. But it's, it's an interesting thing to think that, People now can come right in 
and have access, direct access to our nation. And I guess what the government's thinking is they'll hope, you know, that everyone that's coming in will do the right thing. Well, I don't think we can trust that anymore. And and it's just so sad because we've been uh, in multiple briefings, not all classified, but even the questions we've asked in outside of a classified briefing scenario, and this is just information that the government should be able to tell members of Congress how many Americans are left in Afghanistan. And to date, we are still not with an answer. We all saw reports that said between 200 and 9,000. You know, if you ask today, they will say, well, it's at least 100, but they don't know. We've asked specifically how many special visa holders are here in our country. They will not tell us or they do not know, which that's part of the problem. So of the 123,000 plus uh, people that they were able to evacuate out of Afghanistan, you know, the numbers of Americans are very tiny. I'm talking the numbers, the latest numbers that we saw were less than even 500. I'm sure there's more than that. I want to hope there is. But even on Holloman, when we asked how many people here have the special visa hold, you know, our special visa holders, they wouldn't say. We said, how many are interpreters? They wouldn't say. You know, there's there's just not a lot of information being shared with not only members of Congress, but with Americans. And I believe Americans deserve to know what is going on, and there should be way more transparency. Absolutely. And so I'm a, a former army officer. And the, one of the things we used to say is that hope is not a course of action. And it feels like our government right now, some of the, the Biden administration is relying on this, this idea of hope that this will all work mm-hmm. out. And to your point about 9-11, our enemies exploit uh, when there is chaos or when they sense weakness. And I think a lot of that has been laid bare in many ways. Um, and to your point about transparency and us just not knowing how many American citizens are left behind or how many SIV holders we have in the United States. It's very concerning. And in your your piece for Fox, which really I encourage everyone to go read, you kind of lay out this this imperative that the American mm-hmm. taxpayer dollars are paying for all of this. And it's important that right. they understand what that money is going to. That's right. And that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Because right now, you know, we're looking at doing these reconciliation bills and doing this, you know, raising the debt ceiling and all these things in Washington, D.C., where we're just spending money like crazy. Um, And I don't I just think that we've gone off the deep end in terms of spending. But where I'm going with this is what is this southern border debacle costing the American taxpayer? What is this Afghan debacle costing the American taxpayer? Because you have to remember, you know, it is our taxpayer dollars that are paying for these this temporary housing, which temporary could be anywhere from weeks to, you know, over a year. Um, what, how much is this costing us to food, to house, to Medicaid? You know, right now, and this I, and this is to me re, a reason why the American people need to be kept in the loop and there should be more transparency. I The trip I was supposed to take to Fort Bliss was canceled because of the measles outbreak. That should be a fundamental, a fundamental part of this entire process is checking for infectious diseases, especially when you come to America where we basically eradicated so many of these uh, childhood diseases, if you will, like the mumps, the measles, uh, diphtheria, others. But those now are very, very uh, alive and well. And that's, I think, part of our, our health and safety to the American public. So I have yet to get to go to uh, Fort Bliss because of the uh, measles outbreak. And again, 
these things I believe could be avoided if we would just slow it down. And in fact, traditionally, you would see these types of vetting processes done uh, in countries in transit. You know, it would not be done always on American soil, and there would be background checks. Uh, that would be able that could be compared in databases from all over the region used and utilized, and and we've just moved past that. And this this idea of hoping it just signals to me that this administration is unwilling or unable to take on the issues at hand, which would be the Afghan evacuation and what's happening there, the southern border, what's happening there, this this budget and this uh, spending that is happening. We we are just seeing one crisis after another. And it feels like this administration refuses to either take responsibility or stop and take care of one of these major issues. And let's start putting some rest, uh, you know, on the shoulders of the American people instead of all of this, uh, all of the spending and all the stress. Let's just get some of this stuff put to bed so that we can somehow believe a little bit in our government. But right now, I think that that's an impossibility because we are just watching, you know, just a giant dumpster fire when it comes to this administration, how they're handling these issues. Well, Congresswoman, we are so glad that you are out there asking these questions. I know that you're not getting any answers right now, but the fact that you're taking the leadership and standing up and making sure these questions get asked and that you are pursuing answers for the American people, we are so thankful for your leadership and courage. And I know you're, we're short on time. I just wanted to also touch on one point um, in your op-ed. Again, everyone should go read it on Fox News uh, about what you saw regarding uh, kind of the integration or assimilation that was not happening uh, in these villages. Yeah, that's one thing that I think we're missing the mark on. You know, and these are these are all called like Operation Welcome Home, Operation, you know, Welcome Villages, all this. Okay, that's great to me. But if we're really going to be serious about assimilating uh, foreigners that are especially not from this region and do not are not maybe familiar with all of our Western uh, cultures, there there was nothing that would help them to do so. And in fact, I'll give you an example. Um, we were in one of the multi-purpose buildings, and there was the four-star general and some other um, and some other officers, and myself and a, one of my staffers. And we had some questions we wanted to ask. We were in a building that was huge, and this is one of the makeshift buildings. There was a little women's group kind of going on in the middle of the building. We were not disturbing them, but do you know that the elders, the uh, the Afghan elders, the men came over and they did not want any men assimilating in the building where they had their women. And we moved out of that building. And where I'm going with this is we're not doing our, our coalition, our allies, any favors by conforming to their, to their ways if we're not going to prepare them for what's in store for them in, in you know, small-town America or big-town America. Um, there wasn't anything in, in English, there wasn't anything that would kind of start pushing them into the direction to start understanding or learning our Western culture, our, our Western ways. And I think that's a disservice on our end. Um, and that brings up yet another question that I've been asked is, if we're not going to start helping with the transition in terms of Western culture and so forth, what happens then? Because we know of other areas throughout the nation where there are there are communities of Afghans that are, in fact, in Texas. You know, there was there were even lawsuits filed because they wanted the Sharia law and everything to usurp, you know, American law, the Texas Constitution, New Mexico, or the American Constitution. So, this is very concerning to me. Um, 
you know, to want who wants to protect our country, protect our sovereignty, our constitution. And so these are things that are interesting that we're not starting to at least help um, these refugees understand our culture and get a better handle on it. So when they do uh, and are transferred into our interior or to other nations or to other states, they can understand our way of life. I worry that we're going to change and try to conform to theirs, and I think that's a mistake. And so these are more questions, obviously, than answers. But there's just, you know, we I feel like we just did this way too fast without taking the time to think through how we were going to uh, integrate a new culture uh, into for the Afghanistan to understand how are we going to integrate the Western culture where they understand it and can be productive parts of our society. And, and most of them probably will be. Um, but we just, it, it just feels very rushed and not enough information out there for everyone. Absolutely. And you said it, so many questions, so few answers. And for an administration that purports to have planned for every contingency, it seems like there is a lot of thoughtlessness that is happening. So again, I want to commend you on your courage for asking the questions and your leadership in doing all of this. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Um, For those who are listening, we hope you take away something new from today's conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, or like the podcast in general, we'd love if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. This helps make sure our message reaches as many Americans as possible. Share this episode and let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on our favorite podcast app. And from all of us here, if you're in control, I think, you think, she thinks. Thanks again, Congresswoman. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it very much.